You're listening to the Spiro Avenue Show. If you like what you hear, please follow us on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch our full shows and clips and highlights on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you for watching, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to Spiro Avenue. I'm happy to be with you again. Thank you for everyone that's watching this show. We're like 10, 15, 20,000 a show now. You guys are out of control. We appreciate it. I'm excited. Tonight is a very good night. For those of you that don't know me that well, I married the girl of my dreams uh, almost eight years ago now, and uh, it was a wonderful thing. But she also before that said no to me about 17 times, not about marriage, but about dating. So I liked her. She said no. Liked her. Six months later, she said no. And we went through this drill about five, six, seven, eight times. And then finally she said, ah, screw it. I'll give you a chance. And we're married. Two kids, one more are coming. So it worked out. Much like that, my friend, Justin Rogers, said no to me about appearing in studio across from me again and again and again. And I think he saw his colleague, Tony Paul, finally cave. And he was so moved by Tony Paul's uh, decision to finally give in and appear with me that he said, ah, screw it. I'll sit with Justin too. Justin and Justin, it sounds like a bad sitcom. Justin Rogers from the Detroit News, Detroit Lions writer. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the studio, Justin. Hey, I appreciate you having me. I think the uh, the bigger deal was I just moved a lot closer. Wasn't going to drive out here an hour and a half for you. I, I you know, I appreciate you. But, you like uh, me, but not that much. There, there's a limit on how much I'll drive to to be on a show for free. Yeah, well, to be on a show for free, but this one didn't come totally for free because you had conditions. You had yeah, no, I'm, you had a rider. It wasn't blue M and M's or anything like that, but you needed some good. Uh, it was a quality bourbon. And, a quality and you bourbon. Delivered, so I delivered. We're, we're doing good. So we can do the thing now. We can we do can the business. Do the we yeah. can do the business. Half Let's, hour driving. Let's, good bourbon. Let, and I offered to have you picked up, but you were just you were not that big time. That, that seemed a little bit much. You said you have to hit thirty thousand Twitter followers before you let me send a limousine. I think so, what I actually said is I'm not Mitch Album, but <laughs> I, yeah, I like you a little bit more than Mitch though, Justin. Whoa. But let's let's not go there. Let's let's start on a positive note. There's nothing that is more wonderful in this world that, that makes the the citizens of Detroit more happy than their uh, Detroit Lions football organization. That That is the number one thing that, that warms hearts here. Everybody loves them. They never cause any problems. They never let you down. We're on the brink of a season. Some thought might never happen. Here we are. Looks like they're going to kick. They're going to play. It's not the Big Ten. We're days away going to Chicago. Let's start with just the big picture with the season. I don't want a week one breakdown. This show will never be about breaking down the backup fullback position and the depth chart. We're not into that. I'm in the big picture issues and big topics. What do they have to do this year? Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn are on the ropes, I would argue, Mm -hmm. to retain those guys. And will they achieve enough? Will they get there to the level they need to to retain those guys? What do you see for the Lions this year? Big picture. You know, looking into the crystal ball, football is always difficult, right? Because it's a game. If you play fantasy football, it's a great analogy because you're reliant so much on health. You know, your your star running back goes down or your star quarterback goes down. He, Matthew Stafford, last year, things fall apart. The vision falls apart quickly. So predicting everything. Now you add on COVID-19. You add on a pandemic. You lose the preseason games. You lose the offseason. There is... So much more uncertainty this year. It's it's such a a unique year. Um, I don't think the the expectations change 
because of that for Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, I just think the season is a little bit more difficult to predict. And in terms of what they need to come back, you know, it's ambiguous. I think it's intentionally ambiguous. The Ford family, when they met with the beat writers, said playoff contention. You know, and in that conversation, in you know, that was a 30, 40-minute conversation up in, in the offices of the Allen Park facility. You know, some of the um, the nuances were kind of hinted at. You know, I think, uh, you know, a Stafford injury with them leading the division would, would probably buy them some leeway. But, you know, winning three games at the end of the season to get back to 500 and falling a game short might not. So um, I think you really have to see legitimate playoff contention football in December. And I would argue, given the fact that they're expanding the playoffs a little bit this year, I think they have to get in. I mean, I really do. I, I don't know if, you know, if you, if you go 10 and six and you get bounced, like sometimes you, you see in these situations, I don't think that happens this year. I think nine and seven teams are going to get in. I think the Lions have to be one of those teams. If the season makes it to the finish line, they've got to get in for these guys to keep their job. And this begs the question. And I, first of all, I totally agree. Intentionally ambiguous because they don't want to be pinned down to a number. Absolutely. And frankly, I don't blame them for that. Right. There's a lot of things I blame the Ford family for. We'll get to that later. I promise. But I don't blame them for that. You, no team ever is going to come out and say, if we don't win nine games or more, the whole staff's gone. Because no one wants to be pigeonholed like that. But I will say... As you said, there's a bigger playoff net. More teams are going to make it. I have to ask, though, we're in year three mm-hmm. of this era as a whole. Year five, if you throw Bob Quinn just as a solo act. We fired Jim Caldwell three years ago in Detroit for going nine and seven. And you know, you've heard this again and again from the fan base saying, wait a minute, we were told by Bob Quinn that Jim Caldwell had to go mm-hmm. because nine and seven was not good enough. So you are saying, and I think you're right, by the way. I'm not disagreeing, but just let's take a step back. You're saying now in year three of the replacement for the nine and seven guy that wasn't good enough, that nine and seven brings him back for year four. This is a problem, is it not? Yeah, no, and, and listen, I, I agree that firing Jim Caldwell wasn't the wrong decision. You know, you can't settle for mediocrity. And I think they were kind of in that hamster wheel I like to make the really random comparison to the Atlanta Hawks with Dominique Wilkins. Like they were just good enough to to get to the playoffs, but they weren't good enough to, you know, get over the hump with the other stars in there. That's that's where the Matthew Stafford Lions are right now. Um, you know, I think you look back and and Caldwell probably overachieved with his talent at times. You know, they didn't have any Pro Bowlers, and and to go nine and seven and to get in the playoffs was was pretty good, but it wasn't good enough. And Bob Quinn said it wasn't good enough. They knew when they hit the wall of the good teams. On the road, even at home, they were falling flat on their face. You want to get to the next level. Uh, I think when you hand a guy a roster that went nine and seven and said the coach is the difference, and you sell the coach as the the top off season addition that year, expectations are are going to be high, and they should be high. Uh, obviously, a disastrous first year. You step back and you realize, okay, maybe it was a little bit more rebuild than you thought last year. It was. It's an interesting year because you really do have to look at it as two halves. The first half, Stafford healthy, it's not perfect. It's three, four, and one. It's not great, but you have the fluky loss to Kansas City. You give up a fourth and eight to Patrick Mahomes. You have the the fumble at the goal line with Carryon Johnson returned with no whistles. It was kind of a weird play. You were in it to the bitter end with the team that won the Super Bowl. Green Bay. You have the two hands to the face on the road in Lambeau. Always a tough place. They to were. Play. They were screwed there. Like. 
that that team, I think the only game they they flat out lost were outplayed was Minnesota. And they were still within five points in the fourth quarter of that game. So you're talking about a team that if the ball bounces their way, and that's football, right? How many games are one score? If you finish a little bit better, could have conceivably been seven and one. You know, they weren't, they threw you are what your record says you are, right? But they were a better football team than the three thirteen and one or three yes. twelve and one record. Yeah. So so that first half of the season with Stafford, where they're close, you're seeing growth, you're seeing positive momentum. That's what bought Matt Patricia another year. But it's just another year. They have to get back to that level of play and then they have to finish. They have to hit their what dagger time is their new little it's phrase, very which, cute. Whatever. I mean, all teams have their little motivational slogans and uh, you know, go way back. But um, they they had that, that was the best thing about Caldwell, right? Like that team, Jim Caldwell was the most even keeled personality person you'll ever meet. There was the the meme out there with the faces of Caldwell, angry, happy, elated, and it's all the same face. Um, but that even keeled nature was reflected in his roster with the way they finished games. The, the cardiac year where they had eight comebacks, uh, some of them, some of the more improbable comebacks you've ever seen, fourth and, you know, long, deep in your own territory, 20 seconds left, and you somehow get a 58-yard field goal to send it to overtime. Like, those were improbable, but the calmness exhibited by the coach was reflected by his staff, or by his, his personnel. Matt Patricia hasn't had that yet. They don't finish the way they did with Caldwell. If they can get that back, if they can get that mojo back, and we know Stafford's got a long history of doing it, defense has to carry its own weight. But if they can get that mojo back, this team has the pieces to contend for a playoff spot. They really do. So there is no excuses. The the personnel is in place. I totally agree. I think there is no excuse. And you mentioned right at the top that football is hard to predict because the starting quarterback goes down and changes everything. I agree. I, I, anybody that loses their starting quarterback, I think, is just sort of exempt, including last year's Lions. I was more concerned with how they lost some of those games early on with Stafford. But at some point, you have to bake Stafford's health in, too. That's part of the equation, and they chose to stay with a 32-year-old quarterback with a broken back. I'm sorry. I know you were on the, the train that it's impossible to trade him and, and logistically probably right but I think you have to be heading into a world now where you're preparing that if this year doesn't work out you have to at least explore moving on I was in favor and it was a minority opinion I feel like I know you talked to a lot of people in the fan base I was on the Tua train I wanted to draft Tua sit him for a year move on from Stafford after this year and, and just it's not that I blame Stafford I happen to be a big Stafford fan but at some point like we ran a, a family business uh, one of our, our buildings you know many years ago that we had a good person running that building no problems no complaints they seemed to do a pretty good job but six seven years building just wasn't doing well got to make a change yeah made a change one year later was great you know sometimes the energy is just not there your quarterback is your ceo after what what would this be 12 years of matt stafford even whether or not it's his fault at some point zero division titles zero playoff wins two just embarrassing playoff losses where they went on the road and got blasted you know seattle and new orleans to what extent do you hold stafford culpable for this team's lack of success you know, I think earlier in his career, I, I wasn't um, a big believer in Matthew Stafford. I thought he was overrated by the fan base because they got something far nicer than they had ever had and therefore overvalued it. Um, 
as Stafford's developed over his career and, and reached the point where he's at now, I think he's a very good quarterback. I would put him firmly in the second tier. You know, I think he's he's always been behind the guys like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. Um, you know, there's there's new guys that Mahomes obviously has entered in that conversation. A different era of 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 dual threat quarterbacks are kind of taking over the game right now. But I I still believe that if you put Stafford on a roster that has a good defense, which they had in 2014, and I will forever pin that loss on Jim Caldwell in Dallas uh, for being too conservative, but you give him that and you give him a competent running game. I'm not saying a good running game. I don't, I don't think you need uh, a superstar back, although it doesn't hurt to have the the guy that you can hand it to 25 times a game. That's going to get you a uh, hundred yards a week, but you give him a middle of the tier uh, middle of the pack running game and you give him a top 10 defense. It's just, don't don't make it about Detroit Lions. Make it about just a fictional NFL team starting from scratch. Matthew Stafford is good enough to win a Super Bowl. I think he has the demeanor. I think he has the talent. You know, I know, I know some people get mad that he's not the the Tom Brady grab a guy in the face mask and yell at him, but Matthew Stafford is an intense individual. He's a highly competitive individual. Um, you know, he might not give the fiery speeches to the media. It's just not his style. Uh, but I don't blame him for this franchise's shortcomings. I think there's a lot of other spots to point to other than Matthew Stafford. Could another quarterback come in here and and be that energy, be that spark? I don't know. It might be almost coincidental. Um, just there's so many factors that go into a successful football team, but I, I worry more about Stafford's age and his durability at this point. He's 32. You mentioned the back injuries. They say he's 100%. I think that's the bigger concern about his future right now, not the talent. It still looks fabulous on the practice field when he's wearing the the red no contact jersey. Yeah, he's he's a great talent. I I completely agree, and I said that again and again that he is in that second tier, where he's not at the top, but he is comfortably in the second. My only position would be if this year flames out, whether he gets hurt or he's healthy, plays well, and they go seven and nine and just fizzle out. At some point, whether you like his numbers, you like how he's playing or not, twelve years enough's enough. Make a change at the top. We know, or we think, if they miss the playoffs entirely, that it's going to be house cleaning to the staff. Is there any chance, I can't see this scenario, but maybe you can. Is there any chance that one of Quinn or Patricia stays, one or the other and the other goes? They're, they seem like a package deal at this point. I think it's very unlikely. You know, I, I don't like to paint things in black and white because I think there's always circumstances where uh, you know, the situation could change, but I, I do agree that most likely they are a package deal. And, and I do want to go back to the Tua conversation because I think it's an interesting one. Had the Lions cleaned out their staff and it was a new coach and a new GM, I think Tua would have been absolutely on the table. Um, there's, there's two things here. One, it weren't. You know, this, this was the same staff and they had the ultimatum to win now or lose your job. You can't afford to use the number three pick in the draft and and put him behind in a learning process you're starting quarterback you have to draft an impact player and that's what they believe Jeff Okuda is I don't know if Jeff Okuda even starts week one uh, but they they see him having more of an impact than Tua would had two I, I think my biggest concern with with Tua was he's got his own laundry list of of injuries and you know if you're going to draft a franchise quarterback at number three if if that conversation is Joe Burrow I might even still say draft Joe Burrow. He's that good. I mean, that was 
one of the greatest college football seasons we've ever seen. But when when Tua's hip gets wrecked like that, I'm I'm just I'm not convinced that that he was the guy that that pick would have panned out. I just think there's way too much risk for the reward. But what is the risk, though? The risk is that you don't win a division and don't win a playoff game because we're already in that boat. We've been in that boat for 12 years, and that was my position. Everyone's like, oh, what if he gets hurt? Okay, you took a shot with a potentially generational talent at the position. What's the downside? He fizzles out. Totally possible. Totally possible for anyone, let alone someone with his injury track record. I'd give you that. But what are we risking? What are we giving up to take that chance on Tua? 12 years of mediocrity, 12 years of nothing, that the whole nine and seven or even squeaking into the playoffs, going on the road and getting blasted does nothing for me. You get more emails from this fan base than probably anybody. I mean, you 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 make a habit. I You're what, a fan of kind of tweeting them out and screenshotting some of them. Some of them are pretty funny. You get some weird ones. Some of them are intense, yeah. What, what's the... Where is this fan base at? Because my my position from hearing these guys call into the radio, from sitting at a restaurant and overhearing conversations pre-COVID, just the past five, six, seven years of my life, is that people have way too low expectations, including the Fords, where this whole idea that squeaking into the playoffs and getting blasted is good or is somehow acceptable is just a joke to me. Do you think... Are our fans kind of fed up with this? Are fans content? Are do our Lions fans just like battered? Well, what's the what's your kind of pulse of the the fan base? I feel like the fans are where they've always been. You're always going to have the eternal optimist, you know, the the wait till next year guy, the the Cubs fan, if you will, um, because it worked out for the Cubs, you know, eventually, and uh, the Red Sox. And a lot the of people died that, before that happened, though. A lot of people died. Yeah. Oh uh, well. That that's a somber note. Yeah. Um. And then and then you're gonna have always the the woe is me pessimist Lions fan that nothing is is good enough and um those guys are winning right now. I mean they're they're winning because they've got six decades of of history on their side. They're winning because the optimism in the current regime is at a low point because as you mentioned you're you're five for Quinn, you're three for Patricia. They're coming off that three twelve and one season. No matter you know how as I described earlier how you you break it down and look at the positives of it. It's three, twelve, and one. You just drafted in the top ten, in the top five for the first time in uh, a while. So um, I don't know if it's it's much different than what it always is. I, I just think Lions fans are what they are. There's always going to be that segment that's self-loathing and um, like uh, like being that way. I think it's they enjoy that identity of of being uh, a miserable Lions fan, and there's always going to be the the, they can have it, Justin. Yeah. I don't want it. Uh, I don't want it. I, I want them to be good. Yeah. I, I'm so like I, I called into Valenti's show about yeah a year ago, going into last year, and it was one person after another saying, "Well, you know, if they go eight and eight, and they're you know like a week to go in the year, they they're in it, you know, for the wild card." Like, yeah, you got to bring them back, bring them back. My thing is, my bar is winning a playoff game. I, sure. It's 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 unreasonable, I think, to say win the Super Bowl or die. I mean, it's just, it's so hard. Only the Patriots have made it look easy. But win a playoff game, I don't think it's too much to ask. I'm not that uh, young, Justin. I've been around for, you know, a third of a century. I was too young to see this team win a playoff game. I was still, like, shitting my pants, I think. So it's a problem. 
This team has such low standards. I want to talk about the Fords because I don't know how much you see the Fords, how much you're around the Fords. They seem kind of cagey. They pop up every so once in a while. There's not a lot of media availability in the same way that Bob Quinn shows up once a year and then we never see him again because uh, ostensibly he doesn't want to get in the way of the coach or step on any toes, which I think he's hiding, but I digress. Your feeling of the Fords, and this is a a two-part question because I guess – it would be the Fords historically and the Fords going forward with Shua Fort Hamp. Do they really burn to win? Everybody wants to win. Everyone would rather win than lose. Do you think they're really affected? Do you think Martha Ford and Shua Fort Hamp, after a crushing loss where Lions fans are looking for the noose to hang themselves somewhere, that, that they're losing one minute of sleep? Because I don't think they are. I don't think they care. I have a harder time answering this question about Sheila. Because I don't know her all that well. Fair. Um, you know, I, I I did have the the sit down where um, you know they kind of let us know that he was coming back, and she also uh, took the time for a conference call when when they announced his owner. But um, my my personal feel for her is is still low. With with Martha, you know, you're, you're right. Kind of in the shadows. Um, you know, this is a woman that's that's in her 90s at, at some level. I kind of uh, understand her desire to not be, you know, in the, in the eye of the media. I, I was having dinner with Jerry Green. Um, and for your listeners that don't know who Jerry Green is, he's the only reporter, uh, that's attended every single Super Bowl, And he covered the lions for the Detroit news for a long time. Yeah. He was one of the, the first people to get off, uh, the Titanic. onto a lifeboat. I heard too. I, I believe that yeah, Jerry, Jerry yeah. is very old. Yep. Uh, but his mind is a steel trap. I, I tweeted something out about that the other night. He did a, a, a nice little column for us on Detroit News with some of the, the recent legends passing in baseball. And Jerry's historic perspective has, you know, when I get the chance to sit down with him and, and learn things. And, and he told me this story, and I I hope he's not mad. At, hopefully you'll never even hear it because he doesn't have any social media. But uh, we were having dinner at the Super Bowl in Minnesota and, you know, talking just all kinds of things about lions and NFL football and whatnot. And he told me a story about Martha Ford that kind of changed my perspective. And he was, you know, a reporter probably somewhere in the ballpark of my age. So, you know, 80 to hundred years ago. Um, and Martha pulled him aside at a practice and chewed him out for his opinion on the lions. And he said that, it happened often where maybe not chewed him out, but she would pull him aside and, and contest his perceptions of the franchise uh, and the way he presented them. And it, it gave me this, this a greater appreciation of how much she was reading everything, how much she cared and how passionate she was. And I've heard still within the organization uh, up until she, you know, gave, gave up ownership that, she would get everything printed out and handed to her every day. She would read everything every day. I, I do believe that she was deeply invested. Um, you know, I can't speak to her emotional state when they lost, but I do believe she had a fire within her to produce a competitive team. And I think we saw that really early on in her tenure that axing Tom Lawand was a, it was symbolic as much as it was necessary because that was a long time Ford employee, close friend to her husband, guy that, you know, he had groomed and, and was, was close with the family. 
and the willingness to pull the trigger on that, and not only that, but to to fire the general manager in the middle of the season, showed she wasn't taking the shit that her husband took. You know, he was the easiest thing to say about William Clay Ford's leadership was he was loyal to a fault. He stayed loyal to guys well beyond. And, uh, you know, I don't cover the Pistons anymore, but I remember going to, to Tom Gorris's, uh first inaugural press conference and he gave the businessman cliche like, you can't make a mistake twice. If you make the mistake when you hire him, the longer you stay in that mistake, you're making the mistake over and over and over again. And that's what William Clay Ford always did. I feel like Martha has been more quick to make changes. I know fans are going to look at this Quinn and Patricia era and say, well, why not now? Well, I'm generally the belief that two years is not enough in in pro sports. I know the Cleveland Browns change coaches every 16 months, but is the Cleveland Browns the example you want? I mean, that organization doesn't get their stuff together either. So um, I I do believe there is is a passion there. I do believe they care. It doesn't mean they've done it right. I think that's the easy criticism is you – I get the stupid email and the tweets every day. It's one constant with this team, and it's the Fords. Like, it's some big revelation that I didn't know as a beat writer. You didn't know that? They've no, owned the of, team for a while? Of course the Fords what? have been the problem. But your ownership hires your leadership on the football side. And clearly, they've never done a good enough job of getting the right leadership in place. And I said it with William Clay Ford. He's stuck with bad leadership for a longer time. You know, Martha had a few shots at it. And, uh, well, I mean, really, one coach and one GM. Um, Caldwell was uh, – William Clay was still alive when yes. Caldwell was hired. So, yep. um, you know, she didn't have as many shots. She's moved on quicker. She's made quicker decisions. And you know, now we get to see what Sheila's about. You know, I what I've got from her is she's smart and – She's convicted in her decisions, but you know, we I, get our third chance at Ford ownership. Yeah, Made this I'm one, sure you this, guys are thrilled. this one will be the one that works out. The first two, two total, uh, you have hope, you have more hope than I do. Yo, I'm curious. She's smart and she cares. I'm smart and hope. I care. I shouldn't be owning the team either. I'm not qualified either, but you don't have hope. So, no, you, I, I, what I have is you're curious. Yeah. I mean, I, it's not my job to have hope, right? Like, I, I legitimately don't care what this team does. I know you, you're a good, you're one of the throwback classic journalists, which but, I appreciate. But with that, like I'm, I'm a wait and see person in general. You know, obviously there's a limit to that that William Clay didn't understand. But I'm not gonna. I don't like punishing people for the sins of the father, right? Like it's the same reason. Oh, don't don't ever draft a, a Penn State linebacker because this Penn State linebacker failed. I don't, I don't believe in that. I think that's just a terrible way to go about life as a sports fan. And every Lions fan has every right to be absolutely jaded about the Ford family. They do. They've failed them for decades upon decades upon decades. Um, I, I don't think they're the worst ownership in you know sports. I think there are owners that clearly meddle too much or cut corners financially. I think you can look at you know owners like the Bidwells or Snyders. They're probably worse in terms of the grand scheme of things, but uh, I, I'm not going to bury Sheila without giving her her fair shake because it's you can't control it. You can't fire owners. There's nothing I can write or nothing we could talk about that's going to change the fact that they own the team. The only thing that can change that is if fans stop buying tickets. And I think we've learned for a long time that the only thing nope. that stops Lions fans from showing up apparently is a pandemic. Yes. Gluttons for punishment. Yeah. So... so 
There's a lot to unpack. You just threw, I, there's so much I could pick apart with that, Justin. Not that oh, I disagree mate. with any of it, but let, let's I gotta figure uh, out how to open this water. So take your you time. Did, so yeah, yeah. Take your time with that water. See, Sheila Fort Hamps smart enough. She could have figured it out on the mm-hmm. first try. Could run that team into she the ground. Ivy League. I mean, I, I finished up at Eastern Michigan. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure. I'm nothing. sure the last name Ford had nothing to do with it whatsoever. So I'm sure it was totally on the merits, just like her ownership of this football team. Look, they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. You talk about not wanting to punish someone for the sins of the father, which generally I agree, but there's something to be said for it. God, I wish the Lions had followed it with following the so-called Patriot way. Oh, don't draft the Penn State linebacker because this one failed. How about not hiring the Patriots executive or coach because the last 17 times this has been tried, it hasn't worked. Lions took the plunge. Look, generally I agree with you. Two years is too short, especially when one of those two years, the starting quarterback was just gone and the season tanked. So this regime as it's known now, has really only had one season of seeing this work, and it was a bad year. So I'm okay-ish with the third year. What I had an issue with was this contend for the playoffs ambiguous crap. I'm fine with the third year, but you better make the playoffs and either win that game or like get a Lambeau Field last year screw job loss, which even that would be bad, but at least I could stomach it maybe. The Fords have perpetually low expectations. We've seen that again and again and again. I had a different takeaway than you from the Jerry Green story. You said that Martha Ford would go up to Jerry Green. This is what he relayed to you at this yeah. dinner and you know, say, I'm taking an issue with this thing or that thing that you wrote. And your takeaway from that, Justin, was, oh, wow, she really cares. My takeaway is, where do you get off taking issue with anybody, taking umbrage with anything this organization has done under your family's leadership? I think it takes a lot of nerve to confront somebody and be defensive. Where do you get off? On what basis? If you're a member of the Detroit Lions organization, especially if you're in the ownership group or the owner, in Martha's case, challenging anybody, having any qualms about anything that's gone on here for the last six decades. I, that so, might have been 1971, mind you. They might have been eight years into ownership at that point. Did they have any success in those eight years? I don't know. I don't I don't actually know the the... I, Ford I, ownership, I Lions. The, uh, no. Yeah. That's, it's an easy flow chart. Yeah. Did they own the Lions? Yeah. How'd the Lions do? Poorly. We can, it's very simple. So, but, and, and I, I've heard similar stories though, even recently that Martha Ford likes to, it's sort of like the president of the United States gets like the daily report in the morning that she likes to, like the daily report of what's going on, who's sure. hurt, things like that. I've heard those stories. I don't know if you have too. I, they are a tenured organization, and we see that again and again. And what a wonderful segue. Our producer, Ben, who is fantastic, has pulled a terrific clip. All right. I'm going to get these headphones get on. Get the headphones on. Yeah. I'll throw mine on, too. Mike Valenti, 97-1. This was four or five years ago. The Detroit Lions pull their games off 97-1 because of one person, Mike Valenti, who had been endlessly critical Mike Valenti comes on the air the day after the story breaks that the Lions are leaving 97-1 because of him ago. to address the rumors and talk about the, the veracity of them. So, Ben, we'll let you fire that up. Audience can listen, too. And then I can't wait to get your reaction to this. Years ago, Bill Keenest, who is the head of public relations, who arguably is the worst possible person you could put in charge of that job, Issues with the clip there, Ben. Uh, would basically try to get a hold of me on a segment-by-segment basis during my show. You know why Bill doesn't like me? You know why the Lions don't like me? Because I ain't got time for his phone calls. I don't take his phone calls. 
And if somehow he had the ability to get through to me, I'd hang up on him. Okay, this is an organization that because of the things I say and because of the way we do business, this is an organization that has gotten right. me off. We'll, we'll roll with it. This is this is what live broadcasting does. I, I couldn't hear it. It's been it. a while, but I, I'm but familiar with the rant. You, you're familiar with the rant. Yeah. So he gets on there. Hopefully the audience caught it. But he gets on there and he talks about Bill Keenest in particular, who mm -hmm. has since been minimized. He's now like a team historian or something. That is know. the correct title. Yeah. Is that, did I actually get that right? Yep. I, I knew it was something. He's like the librarian. It's something where they just didn't want to fire him. And it's like, here you go, uh, update the, the website or whatever. But um, I think the takeaway from that, and it's the takeaway we've seen from the Martha Ford story. You told you, I don't care if it was 100 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. This organization cares way too much about what other people are saying and way too little about what's actually happening and what's producing those comments, what's eliciting that commentary from people. You cover this team for a living. It's your job. You're in it. You and the thing I respect about you and really the Detroit Lions writers in town in general is you are the most fair and objective where there's no ax to grind. It's just here's the facts. Here's what's going on. You know, this is where the team is at. Have you ever felt any type of pressure from the Lions, either quietly or explicitly uh, contending or contesting, I should say, something that you wrote or pushing back on you for some type of coverage they view as unfavorable? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, some inside baseball stuff, right? Uh, I've absolutely heard from people in the organization when they've disagreed with something I've written. Um, it's not often. You know, but it certainly does happen. Uh, occasionally, they want to correct the record on a factual element, which I am always grateful for because I strive for perfection and accuracy in my job. And when that falls short, I, I want it, and uh, I want to correct that. And um, you know, there there has been times where they've taken umbrage with my opinion, whether that's a social media tweet, which is probably more right than. Than, than wrong on that because you know sometimes we we let our guard down let our hair down and get a little sarcastic and personal on twitter where you know it it's a balance that i've i've struggled with um meshing personality with journalistic integrity kind of blurs and and falls off there um what what i show on twitter sometimes is not what ever would go in a story uh but you know there's you get these tweets or these emails sometimes like uh, you're a coward. You would never say this because you're afraid to pull your credential. That, that has never even come close to happening. Um, there has never been a point where this organization has used their leverage of my coverage against me in any way. Again, they may take umbrage. I may have gotten a call from Bill Keenest in the past or... Uh, you know, a member of the current PR staff now, or, uh, you know, maybe even somebody in, in the coaching staff or the front office where they've got uh, an issue with the way I presented something. Um, I know that uh, I wrote a column at the end of the, what year is it, 2020? So 2018 season, um, things were obviously going very poorly. And the Lions were going to play Buffalo, I think, late in the season. And I just wrote a smarmy column that said, uh, Lions are boring, bad, not worth watching. And I just trashed the entire game. Like, I, I, I was laying out the case of why everybody else should go to the Cider Orchard on, on this Sunday instead of watching a miserable football game between two miserable teams that were injured and whatever. And 
that one didn't go over very well, you know? <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. it would. I mean, it, it was basically taking a dump on the organization. and But it, you know, they deserve it, though. I, I That's agree. the point. I agree. It's not unjust. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, you know, some of my um, my tweets where I've kind of mocked the Patriot way and how the Lions do business, like, you know, my the job is not easy sometimes. And when you go into a locker room and it's empty for an entire week because nobody in that locker room wants to take accountability or step up and 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 answer the questions and you you note this is the third day in a row that only people in the locker room are miles killebrew and two special teamers uh this must be the patriot way like clearly that's not the right way to present that information was it was sorry to interrupt you real quick was that was that only the case after patricia got there that the limited access was no so but it started getting but isn't that on stafford though i would say it started with quinn okay quinn yeah and okay. and again, I think that's where I tied it to the quote unquote Patriot way. Again, it's it's a sarcastic approach, it's not a professional approach. If I got a problem with the way the locker room is in terms of access, I have avenues to address it, whether it's their PR staff, whether it's the NFL uh Pro Football Writers Association, they have some leverage in, in getting guys to meet their media obligations. But, you know, making a sarcastic tweet was something I did. It was beneath me, I realized it, but sometimes those things get called out right away. And it's like you you know, it it's okay for them to say that wasn't professional. And you're like, yeah, you're probably right. You know, but it's also not professional for none of your guys to be in the locker room. And so it opens up a dialogue in a different way. This team will wear your ass out. That's that's my takeaway from this whole thing. Oh, and this industry will wear your ass out. Well, that's a different story. Yeah. Why do you think I found some real work? You know, I went to like, you know. you're smart. Uh, well, I don't know if I'm that smart, but I was going to school for the same thing that you're doing now. And I was like, you know what? I think I'd rather be a glutton for punishment and go to law school. And I'm getting my MBA right now. Anything but being a journalist, because it's such a tough job. And that's why I have so much respect for people like you and Tony Paul that do things, do things the right way. You're critical, you're objective, and you're a, a treasure in this town. So a I treasure. To me, you are. That's, You're that's one of great. my favorites. Yeah. And, you know, my, my friend uh, Michael Fick is a huge fan of yours, and he was desperate to ask me uh, to to ask you a question about your colleagues in particular, yeah. you guys, the Lions beat writers in particular. We're talking Detroit News. Okay, so Detroit News. Or, I'm sorry, Detroit Lions beat writer colleagues. In yes, got it. Not just Detroit News, but the okay. Free Press. Yeah, the M Live. You know, all bastards. You, you guys. Oh, all bastards. No, I'm just you guys seem, and that, that was his point. Was yeah. that you guys seem that you guys get along? That you get along with Kyle Mickey? Is there any type of tension there, a competitive tension. I mean, I know you guys are getting beaten to the punch by Adam Schefter like everybody else in the yeah. country is, but like, is there any type of tension there competitively? Are you guys just, you know, on a beach sipping Mai Tais in your free time, like high-fiving each other? Yeah. Let's come back to that Schefter point, by the way, before we exit this let's conversation. Go, yeah, but go ahead. No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Four that. Four years, man. In terms of um, the uh, actual beat, I, I do get, I, and I think it's just me personally. Like I, I get along with people. Like I like people. I'm a social person. Um, my job and competitiveness are walled off and separate from, you know, personal. And I think, uh, I can do that and, and execute it. Well, I don't um, have animosity to those guys. I want to beat them professionally all the time. I'm not trying to put them out of work, but I want to get the story first as, as much as possible. And I always want to make sure I, I get the story right. But I, I would consider most of the guys on the beat friends. Like if I was getting married again, which I've been married for 20 years, don't need to worry about that. Uh, but, you know, I, I would invite most of these guys to my wedding so I could get the scoop on the story while they're all off the beat. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, 
no, I mean, when we go on the road, you know, I frequently will have dinner with different groups. You know, I'll go out with Kyle and we'll go. Kyle Mikey. Up, yeah, we'll rack up some obscene bill at a tapas place. Uh, at a tapas place. All right. Tapas. Cool. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. Uh, it's a kids friendly show, right? Uh, well, I don't know. I've dropped a few F bombs already. It's but just you're friends with Kyle. Sure. You're, that's your buddy. Please. He's not the only one. Yeah. No, no, I know. But sure. I, I'm starting with him, though. Yeah. Okay. We, I'll probably start and finish with him. Because okay. this is Quick a wine discussion. show. It sounds like the, you have an axe to grind. No axe grind. Okay. I like Kyle. Other does, than Michael, that, does Michael Fick have an axe to grind? No, he likes everybody. He's okay. one of those Homer Lions fans that writes you, oh, would you think they can go seven and nine this year? It would be great. He's a huge Damn, Homer. Michael. Yeah, Michael, Michael, who's probably watching this live, great guy, one of my best friends in college. Yeah, he was the guy that would always like take everyone's keys, including mine at parties, which, you know, grateful. But uh, great guy. But he's one of those. He's part of the problem with this fan base. Like, it's just they perpetuate this thing. If everyone sure. if everyone was like me, we'd probably have new ownership now because they would hate being reviled so universally. But I digress. Kyle Mankey is a symptom of a larger disease in this regard. Okay. Sports writers who will not shut the hell up about politics. Mm. I had a Twitter poll the other day. Don't quote me on the exact percentage. It's within a couple. I can't remember where it finished, but I was tracking it in real time. But I near, need two sources for the Detroit News to quote anything anyway. So there you go. This yeah. is this is and this is like half of one source. Okay. But my Twitter poll, non-scientific. Don't tweet at me. Yeah. You know, talking about the the scientific nature of this poll. It had it at like ninety-one percent of people regardless of their political views, do not want their sports writers talking about politics, whether it's yeah. pro-right, pro-left. It's not It's not a left-right thing. Yeah. Kyle Minke, who I have invited on the show, he has ignored me, whose writing I enjoy, whose reporting is good. I think he is very good at what he does, but he is a big fan of that constantly talking about how much he hates Donald Trump. I have followed you for years, been a fan of yours for a long time, I have no idea who you voted for in 2016. I have no idea who, who you're voting for if you're voting at all in yep. November. And I think that's how it should be. Not that you don't have the right to. Everyone's like, oh, stick to sports. Use my platform. Use my voice. You have, there's a lot of things you have the right to do. I would never say, Kyle, shut up like you have no right to do it. But I don't think it's smart. I don't think it's what people follow you for. I don't think it's what they follow sports writers for. And I think it's a bad business decision Contrast, why are you so silent? Why do I have no idea who you're voting for in two months? Uh, well, uh, I think if we were, you know, uh, just hanging out socially, you know, these conversations would take place. And I, I'm not afraid to talk politics. I'm not afraid to express what Different I believe context, in. Different context, right. You know, um, I also do not agree with the shut up and dribble crowd, the stick to sports crowd. I, I think that our Twitter is our own private entity. You know, it doesn't, it's not attached to our job. It's you know, implied uh, as part of it, but that's my account. I run it. I take it with me when I leave. I can talk about whatever I want. Um, and I, I think we reserve that, right? But I don't like social media. <laughs> if I didn't have to be on social media, I would not. I do not have Facebook. I went on there one year when I was considering a profession change, um, was was kind of at the end of my rope at MLive and uh, was was meeting with a couple CEOs of, of different companies downtown for a different uh, avenue and um, I was told I was eminently hireable, but not having a Facebook page in that industry was a red flag. I was like, "Well, shit, better get a Facebook page." That was 2016. It was a miserable, miserable experience to be on Facebook in 2016. I, I, I imagine the worst time to get in that pool. I can tell you that I was in the on the runway 
taxiing out to Seattle for the playoff game when I deleted Facebook. Not off my phone. I deleted my account. I'd been on there a little bit more than a year, and I was like, this is this is miserable. I hate it. And it's the same with Twitter. And I, I do find myself when like there's a, a, a major political tweet that's gaining steam, I find myself scanning through the comments and reminding myself the responses. And I, I'm sure, yeah, a lot of them are bots and whatever. Um, I'm reminded constantly that the worst segments of the political spectrum, the people that are uneducated, the people that uh, are trolls, the people that just bang the drum regardless of what facts are in their face, those are the people that are loudest on 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 social media. And it's to me, it's been the same thing with Sports Talk Radio for years. I hate caller segments. What I like in Sports Talk Radio is I want to hear them interviewing whether it's experts in the media or players or coaches. That's what I love about Sports Talk Radio. I don't want to hear from Bill from Taylor or John from Lake Orion. I don't give a shit what you have to say because the people calling into Sports Talk Radio and, you know, the a lot of the people that are on Twitter every day with sports fans, like, they're so far on those extremes that they don't represent reality. And so I don't dip into politics because even when I have something that's got a tinge of it, like let's use um, uh, the, the mass NFL protest after Donald Trump called uh, players willing to take any sons of bitches. Yeah. Right. I literally was just doing my job. I reported that he said it. I reported what the Lions did. I reported what Rod Woods said and why they were doing it. And I wrote an entire story. And I had a colleague, and he might have been a former colleague at that point, like cursing me out on Twitter and saying, I don't support the president. And I'm going, what the fuck? Like, and I, I never drop the F-bomb even on Twitter. Like, it's just like that one's reserved for And I don't reserve it anywhere else. But publicly, I largely reserve it. And I was like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. You don't know me. We've never had a personal conversation. Our conversations extend to, hey, my story's in, go edit that. Um, like, don't don't come in here and tell me what I believe or what I'm supporting. I'm doing my job. And so if if just doing my job brings out that animosity, anger, I don't have the bandwidth in my life to deal with the crazies on the internet. I have you know, pretty strong convictions in, in my political beliefs, um, you know, particularly on a lot of social issues. Uh, I, I prefer to put my money where my heart is, you know, and I think the one thing you see me kind of get aggressive with on Twitter, and I've, I've actually really proud of it's maybe not the right word, but it, it's, it's heartwarming is the domestic violence stuff. I got in this habit of when I was bothered by a domestic violence story in the NFL some player doing something horrific, I would take that time and I would donate $25 to a charity, which could break you with some of the streaks the NFL had, you know, a couple of years ago, yep. but I would publicize that. And not because I wanted to pat myself on the back, but because I said, Hey, this story disgusted me. This was my response. If you've got something to share, do it. And I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was at the, around the draft, but I did that and I don't know why, but it, like it turned into like a, ta- like a Twitter-a-thon and everybody was sending me their, their receipts and we ended up raising like 
$1,300 from Metro Detroit. Like, and not raising, like, it was donated. Like, I had the receipts. Um, and so... Like, is that political, though? That's, 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 it's not. I, I don't consider and that's, that political, That's where I think though. you get into that's you know, some of these um, current issues with, with race. You know, I don't think... Uh, obviously, Black Lives Matter has turned into a uh, semi-political movement, but the concept of equality... And everybody treating fair, you know, treated the same regardless of skin or religion or whatever. That's not politics. Unfortunately, it is very political. But I would much rather than than tweeting my beliefs constantly on the topics, even though I think it's important and I think there's there's something to be said about not staying silent. I don't stay silent in my own circles, but I'd rather donate my time and my money to causes that are working toward that equality in a positive way. Well, you're a fan like I am of actual tangible action and people bitching on Twitter for the 7,000th time about what a devil Donald Trump is. Sure. What are you doing? You're not, it's it's making yourself feel good. You're reminding everyone that you're against this and I'm using my platform to speak out. There isn't been one person, I challenge you to come forward, that said, you know, I like Donald Trump and I I love him. I voted for him in 2016. He's great. He's great. Six months later, he's great. Love everything he's doing. Ooh, Supreme Court justice. That's great. Tax cut. Great. Great. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, yeah. I think your last guest actually does tweet that. I haven't finished. Oh. I thought you said nobody tweets that. Calm sorry. down. Calm. I, sorry. Part one. Yeah. Will you calm down? Okay. What's what's in that beverage I gave yeah, you? I just flipped a table. Nobody. That's oh, they part can one. See that. that's I haven't. Yeah, John Warren yeah. is a huge Trump guy. Yeah. That's, that's just right. But my what I was going to sure. say was no one has been in that boat and then been scrolling Twitter one day and said, "Oh shit, Kyle Menke said he's a fascist." I reverse everything. Yeah. Fuck Donald Trump. I hate him. I'm out on Trump. Biden 2020, Biden Harris. Nobody in the history of mankind has been swayed by Kyle Menke bitching on Twitter. He has the right, and I'm just using him as an example. Sure. It's it's the majority of the sports media. I hope he, he at least gets dates out of it. I like Kyle. I feel bad that I'm singling him out because he's honestly, he's the majority. You're the minority that kind of stays out of the weeds. Sports media is very vocal about this stuff. Yeah. I think it's a mistake. I don't think it does anything for them other than make themselves feel good and they get to tut-tut each other. But there hasn't been a single person in the history of mankind that has been convinced by this kind of stuff. The way you convince people is you make arguments. You don't demonize the other side. This isn't a left thing. It goes for the right, too, where everyone says, oh, liberal snowflake. What quote unquote liberal snowflake is going to be convinced to come a little bit to the right side of They're the aisle snowflakes. by being called a liberal snowflake? Well, that's everyone's a snowflake. All, Everybody's full sides are snowflakes. You know how sensitive I am? I was so hurt when you rejected me for years. I believe but it. I'm the biggest snowflake in the world, but at least I admit it. But my point is everyone needs to just shut up when you're in that realm because nobody cares. You have the right to do it. You say you're against shut up and dribble. I'm, I'm not saying. I would never tell them to shut up even though I just did. Normally, I would not tell them to shut up. But if I were their friend, if I'm Kyle Minkie's buddy, I'd be like, what are you getting out of this? Who are you convincing? What, like, what, why is it good for you? Do you feel like you're making this, this great stance that you're uh, the great equalizer in this fight against oppression? I don't buy it. There's no tangible benefit. The stuff that you did for domestic violence victims in Detroit, you know, actionable moves, that I buy. We are way off the path, though. So let's, let's recenter. Yeah, I mean... I- it's it's a social media circle jerk, right? 
It's it's yes. everybody everybody's virtue signaling and um, you know making sure. I, I think my biggest problem is uh, with this personally is you hear the phrase "right side of history" a lot, right? Overly used at this point, but yeah, yes. but sure, but but you understand the concept, right? Yes. Like there are no one wants to be the plantation owner from right two hundred years ago. You know, like. I haven't studied in depth what it was like in Nazi Germany and what people were just like, I'm just going to sit back and do my job. Like, I don't want to be that guy either. Right. Like if, if there is a great wrong going on in society, like at some level, like you do, I think have an obligation as a human to speak up, but you're right. Like what it goes back to that Trump quote. Like he said, uh, I could shoot a guy on fifth Avenue and I wouldn't lose any voters. I think that's pretty much been proven to be accurate. Pretty at this close, point, right? All like, the more reason to shut up because it doesn't matter. That's what Ooh, yes. Did you see what Trump said? Uh, These people don't care. It's been baked in. And yeah. you talk about Nazi Germany. Obviously, the one, the example everyone goes to when they talk about the pinnacle of fascism and evil in, in the history of the world, yeah. recorded it's history. Easy, anyway, right. it's it's the easy comparison to make. In 1940, or let's say a little earlier, you know, late 1930s, yes, the, ri- history podcast, the rise, the rise of Hitler. If they had Twitter back then, do you think that someone going on Twitter and saying Hitler sucks, he's a fascist, fuck Hitler, is that going to save any lives? The guy, they'd probably kill the guy, and that'd be the end of it. But that's not the thing that saved lives was actually taking action and having Anne Frank in an attic and having you know Schindler building a factory and hiring Jewish prisoners to work there to preserve their life. That's the stuff that gets stuff done. Not going on Twitter and whining all the time. These people haven't changed one mind since they started whining four years ago. They're not going to change one mind in the next two months by whining about it. Can you just tell me how Adrian Peterson looked in his first walkthrough? That's all I want to talk about right now from you, Kyle Makey. I Stop watching CNN for five minutes and shut up and write about sports just for a couple days. And then you can, you know, go back. You said you weren't going to tell him to shut up. But I, I said, other than the context of this show. Okay. And when this show goes yeah. off, I'll be nice to Kyle again. And I like yeah. Kyle, again, for the fourth time. Kyle is just like one example of the larger sure. issue. Not picking on Kyle. And there's people a lot worse than Kyle. And I like Kyle. Yeah. But I mentioned Adrian Peterson. Let's get it back on the Lions tracks. I got a couple. Is that what we're doing here? I'm, yeah, is this was this a football yeah, show? I, I can't even remember I what, what we were talking about. I, I the the issue with this running game. I've made it a big point of contention on my show for three years since we started this thing. They have not finished in the top half of the league in rushing once since Barry Sanders retired. It's crazy. In 1998, after 1998 season, yeah, they have gone over 20 years. Not saying they haven't finished top five or top ten. Not finishing in the top half. They have been, by the definition of the term, below average in a critical category for more than two decades. They've made every step to change it, uh, I would argue, even before this year. But I've never seen them as invested as this year right now. Get it on paper. Don't talk about injuries, this and that. We all know if the offensive line gets crumpled, uh, throw that out. Let's say they're relatively healthy. Yeah. Is this year they finally get it done? They have Adrian Peterson, Swift. Carry on Johnson, who's hurt every five seconds, but they got three guys now. Yeah. Is this year they finished top half? God, you would hope so, right? But like, do they? I know. Adrian Peterson is 35 years old, but man, just seeing him he in the Lions future, play. it he looks still awesome, play. right? Like, he can still play. He's, yeah, he, he averaged, what, 4.3 yards per carry in yeah. Washington. It's not like Washington had much else going on last year. Um, he gets the job done. Uh, but 
of running backs we know are half of it, right? Like the other half is the offensive line. And how long have the Lions been building an offensive line? They've got a really, really great piece in Frank Ragnow. Frank Ragnow's a stud. Yeah, I like him a lot. I don't know about the other pieces. I think Taylor Decker is an above-average offensive tackle and is paid as such. Uh, Joe Dahl is probably replacement level. Yes. He's a good bargain at the price you're paying him for a starter. Uh, I think he probably played better than most people expected last year. So your left side is is decent. Um, Jonah Jackson looked really good in training camp. But when I say he looked really good, the kid's got exceptional footwork. It was already a known factor. He was a good pass now, who, protector. I know who Jonah Jackson is, yeah. you know, draft pick, but, you know, sure. for the uninitiated. Yeah. Third round draft pick out of Ohio State, transferred good from player. Rutgers. Third round draft was pick. Was there one year? Yep. Uh, yeah. Really, really good advanced footwork for a young player, but he's better pass protector than run blocker. So he doesn't help you there. And then they go and they sign Big V, Vitae. Yeah. Right it's tackle. A mouth, it's a mouthful. Yeah. Somebody told me that it, the, the name can be said to. Uh, a lyric of a song and I actually was uh, play that funky music white by you. You can say his first name to that rhythm and it works, but I, I still can't do it. I'm working on it, but um, get it ready for the next time you appear. He's, he's a, a mauler. He's a big guy. He just came off a great year. We was a very good run blocker and one of the best offensive lines in football. The pieces are there, but I mean, I feel like they've invested in this offensive line multiple times, brought in Rick Wagner and TJ Lang, big money contracts. They've spent third round picks and first round picks left and right on this offensive line. It still has never come together. Carrion Johnson and Bo Scarborough last year were like bottom 10 in yards before contact. I don't care how good you are. If you're getting hit at 1.5 yards before, you know, you take that first bit of contact, you're not going to be a good running game. So all these pieces have to come together. Adrian Peterson's the type that can barrel through some of that contact. Carrion Johnson, maybe not so much, but I don't know. I, I, I see the pieces there. I, I get the excitement, but it's just like the team in general. Like, you got to prove it to me because I don't believe you because you've never given me reason to believe you. So I grab the lamp, I hold it right up to you and say, just yes or no, top half or not. Do they get it done or not? Just give me a yes push, or no. Push? But you, Can they the, be that, 15th? Uh -huh. All right. Yeah, let's go 15th. I would give it to them. That'd be the yeah, best they've done. Top half. There you go. And, and they've put, are you a born and raised in Michigan guy? I am. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, you know, and I think you're a little older than me, but I'm sure you remember Stocker McDougal, Aaron Gibson. I do. Down the line, Jeff Backus. It's sure. not like this organization has not put money on that offensive line. Jeff Harding's Re actually ended up being pretty good. Now you're going else. a little farther back. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Harding's. But they have put significant assets into this Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. You know, uh, Dominic Rayola, second-round pick, top center in that draft years ago in Nebraska in 01, I think. But this goes back to what we said earlier. Ownership picks the people that pick the players. So you are blaming the Fords. Finally, it took us no, an hour. I mean, it, no, it absolutely. I, <laughs> no, you absolutely blame the I, And I, I think I said that earlier. They've done a poor <laughs> job picking the people that have picked the players. And Buck the, stops at the Fords. Yeah. Well, I don't care how much you like We just can't get him to fired. I you Best know, friends. You, you, you heard Sheila Ford Hamp got an A We're going to go Tennessee AP P tomorrow. chemistry, and you're so impressed. Yeah. Look, I, I don't know what it is with that that team, I, with that ownership group, I mean. It's the, the draft war room pictures from a few years ago where it's like seven women in their 80s or later, like just sitting around. She like, was the only one in her 80s. Oh, it was. 
I the I'm so mad. Are I'm not so in their 80s. Come on. The picture the picture I'm talking about. I'm going to I'm going to find like it. It I don't have time. We're on the air. I Come on. This this was like a knitting club. No. This it, was no. Yes, it was. I no. tweeted it had like 300 likes, which is a lot for me. I'm not as popular as you. There is a picture from the war room. I want to say it was Caldwell's last year. Hold up, Ben. Ben it's, it's not my Twitter, but it would have been like four years ago. <laughs> so it's a while ago. Just there, start scrolling. We there, get is, there is a picture that I tweeted, and I can find it. I'm going to find it. There's like three or four of them, and it, it looks like- It's probably mom and daughters. Okay. Why are four like 100-year-old people in the war room high-fiving each other? What are they doing there? What, <laughs> watch on your couch. Watch it at your, your, your palace somewhere. Like, what do you do? Why are they in the draft room? Why is it necessary? Just the optics. Even if they want to be there. They're... Why are they in the picture, though? Like, can you tell the team photographer? Can you tell Tim Twentyman? Like, can you aim two inches to the right? Can you aim the camera just a couple inches to the right so we can get this knitting circle off the screen? This is embarrassing. Look at the, look at the, the lion's brass in the war room. Game plan. Is this a serious operation? Do you see sixteen elderly women, or it's even a woman thing, men or women, yeah, just mean, people that can barely walk? Have you seen the, the Roonies? Okay, the, do the Roonies do the Roonies have a picture of six geriatric people falling out of their chairs in their draft war room during the draft? Take them to the draft party. Why Such are the lions? Hyperbole. This this way. Okay, it started with three and we're up to six. Other than that, it's not hyperbole because this is a real picture that we will find. And I'm so mad about this right now because this is a thing that happened. The point is this organization could not be more tone deaf. They're confronting reporters. They're confronting radio guys. Vonnie was actually pretty tame back in the day, not anymore, with them because he was trying to play nice. Let me put it this way. I think the the confrontation reporters Who? Has, dial, has, Who's a confrontation has, has dialed down. Who was everyone? You, I, I, you guys do a good job objectively. I'm just saying the people that confronted Valenti, that that's not happening Bill, anymore. Bill Keenest, it's not the, happening anymore. You don't. Well, it's because they're off the station. What are they going to say now? They don't have any leverage. If they had leverage, they would use it. They, oh, they the leverage, the leverage did not matter in those conversations. I promise you, it didn't. But they tried to make it matter. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Right. Yeah, they but tried to use it. Just, would, just because it didn't yeah. happen to work doesn't mean they're absolved from the attempt. Yeah. They tried to use leverage. They tried to exert leverage. It just didn't work. Just because it didn't work. Just because you saying, shoot they the guy and miss doesn't mean you're absolved. Even if they didn't have The point the is they are the most hypersensitive organization, and they have, they're so, they're, they don't realize the optics. If they've been terrible for a thousand years, they're, they're horrible. Oh, look at this. You just... This isn't my, my buddy. My buddy just sent me this picture. This is not it. the one I'm talking about. Thank you for sending this to me. There's a different one that's worse that I tweeted. If you're James, if you're it's watching, Michael, still go out. into my Twitter feed and, and find my media from like a hundred years ago. It, it's it's there because I tweeted it more than once. Yeah. I think it's an embarrassing picture. But this I'm organization, sure it's they, mom and daughters. They ha- but why are they in there? It, because it's so embarrassing. She is the owner. And they are the ownership so, so they, group. Okay, so they have the right to do it. So we're, what, we're not, I mean, I'm not talking about yeah. arrest them. They yeah. don't have the right to do it. Yeah. I'm not saying let's cuff them and throw yeah. them in prison. That's not the argument. It's whether or not it's, it's good optics, which it's yeah. not. It's embarrassing. They've been terrible since your grandpa was alive and, and, and watching games as a kid. So why are we supposed to be looking at this knitting circle in the war room during the draft, can they just come in after and like, you know, uh, toast like a, a, a mojito or something? It, it's so bad. And I'm not the only one that thought it. There's a reason why a lot of people loved and I retweeted. Thought you wanted, my, uh, 
I thought you wanted an owner that was invested. Hey, now you don't like the fact that they're in the, the draft own, room? The owner can be in there, not the whole knitting circle. What well, are they doing there? Executive vice presidents. If they're actually making decisions, that's even worse than the optics alone. I, I think it's mostly it was just Sheila. Well, it's embarrassing. Yeah. It, it, the optics are terrible, and this is an organization that has always gotten the optics wrong. I want to finish on one thing on the Lions before we do our okay. speed round. It's a new speed thing we're round. doing. I just John Wharton, John Wharton pitched this to me. He said, "Yeah, this would be fun because okay. I have so many things. We had too many topics. I couldn't pare it down. Yeah. He said, let's just go fast. But one more thing real quick. You've covered three head coaches since you've been covering this team. Is that correct, Jim? You were started with Jim Schwartz. Yep. Went to Caldwell, went mm-hmm. to Patricia. Mm-hmm. Who's been the easiest cover, the hardest cover? How are they different? Ooh. Um, none of them have been particularly easy. I mean, they've all kind of put up walls. It's just that's the way sports journalism has gone as, as teams are. Uh, there's there's so much more of a, a barrier, both physically and figuratively, uh, between reporters. Um, Caldwell might have been the easiest, again, just because he was the most even-keeled, yeah. level-headed guy. You know, you, you, there's there's a lot of overlap in personality to Jim Schwartz and Matt Patricia, and I'm sure by saying that, both of them would tell me to F off. But like, Which would prove your they're point. Both, yeah, they're both that like <laughs> alpha male that likes to, to have a lot of control in the organization, both defensive guys who insisted on bringing in their schemes and putting in – Puppet's not the right word, but caretakers of their defense as they handle the defense. Paul Pascaloni. Yeah, Paul Pascaloni and Gunther Cunningham were at... I respected Gunther's accomplishments more, but he didn't have a ton of sway or power in calling that defense. It was Schwartz's. He was pulling the strings, right? And same thing with Patricia. It's Patricia's defense, right? He says he's backing down from that with Umlin, but we'll see. Yeah, and I mean, maybe, but it's still his defense. It's still Patricia's defense. It's Umlin is the caretaker... Unlin might call place, and I, you know, I, I have no reason to believe that they're lying to me, but it's still Patricia's defense. You could tell just talking to Corey that he deflects a lot to, to Patricia. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I felt like if if Caldwell was mad about something or didn't like something, he would be the most likely to to tackle it head on and address you personally. And I appreciated that. Pa- Patricia, Patricia, I don't know if he's mellowed out a little bit, but he's been a lot. He, it seems that way, but he, he was flat out rude. To, it was Rothstein, right? Michael Rothstein, where he was criticizing his posture. Yep. Were, you, were you there when that happened? I was. Awkward. Like you're talking about a guy, how the guy's yeah. sitting in the chair. Yeah. I mean, that that's the proverbial straw that broke a camel's back, right? So that was a contentious relationship that spilled over in a bad moment for Patricia. No question. You know, I, I I'm sure if you sat him down and, and got an ass answer. You tell you he regretted that he did that. It That's the thing. If, if when Caldwell had a problem with a reporter, uh, you know, whether it was me or Mike or, or Kyle or whatever, then you, you take him aside and you talk about it. That's how you handle those things. You, if you've got a problem with it, you, you handle it. And, and that was, that was just a, a snapping at a moment that of, of a, a bad relationship at the time, you know, um, that was a bad year for Matt Patricia. I mean, it, it you know, I mean, our our paper reported a story that was twenty years old and um just put yourself empathetically in that that shoe, right? Like you were accused, there's no trial, there's For the people that don't know what we're talking about, yeah. accused rape allegation from yep. I mean it you said about twenty years ago, right? That was the late I, I mid late nineties. It was yeah. a long time ago. It was mostly handled on our, our news side, you yeah. know, and yeah. um you know, there's there's just we we reported what it was. I 
I will stand by the reporting was reporting. It was fine. Um, but you know, it, it didn't go anywhere else, but if that was you and you were in a new job and that information came out publicly, how would you react? You got a new wife, you got kids from that marriage. Like yeah. welcome gonna, to Detroit. You're going to throw up crazy walls and be yeah. on guard. I, and so that first year was awful. I mean, it was just toxic all the way around. And again, if I pull myself outside and just look at it, I get it. Um, to his credit, he made an effort to reset everything in year two. And I don't know if there is a perfect relationship between media and the person they're covering because it's naturally adversarial, but it has been a much more professional relationship. He's made great efforts to um, answer our questions in in the the public realm and and also kind of made himself more available. Um, It's not like he gives me his phone number and we're calling each other, but uh, if I have a question that maybe doesn't fit in a format of a press conference, you know, I can reach out to people in the organization and he will make that time to, to answer my, my questions. So, um, it, it's been a lot better the last two years. No question. And that's good just for his sake. I mean, yeah. I, I have some, I liked when I hired him. I do have some concerns. He has a little bit of that Rex Ryan goofball, you know, dresses like a slob, had the famous shirt of Roger Goodell, which, uh, you can see the shirt I'm wearing kind of spoofing that, you know, as a clown coming off the plane. It's like it's just kind of unbecoming of a head coach. Like it's kind of silly. He's I, the embodiment of football guy, right? But that's that's good for like I know the, it's a cliche, that's, but that's, that's the line coach. That's our my yeah. coordinator, maybe. I don't want sure. my CEO to be like that. I I respect that opinion. That that's who he is. He's at least authentic to who he is. I think you have a good point that you don't want your your face of your franchise presented that way. You know, and he's toning it, is, it down. It was a, he's not going to be wearing to see the good hat he wore at the combine, though. I didn't see that, yeah. but I, I, I mean, I do, I do not expect him to be wearing a tuxedo on the sidelines anytime soon. But he's the worst dressed coach in NFL history, arguably. Is that true? Belichick runs with the cutoff sleeves. I think Belichick looks better because he okay. he dressed just as poorly, but he's a hundred pounds. But he's got lighter. six Super Bowl rings. Oh well, yeah, he 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 could come out in a leotard, and no one would care. So, fair. are you ready for our speed round? Are you ready to rip a little bit? Yeah, it's probably not. I'm, I talk a lot. It's probably not going to be a speed round. Let's go. Well, hey, I'm on your time. You know, yeah. this is this is fine. I'll keep you here all night. So we'll go quick. I'm going to rip through them. Okay. If you want, if you want to go longer, go ahead. What are we doing here? What's I'm just going to throw something at you. And like you're a Rorschach gonna, test. It's not going to be. It's not word association. You can talk. Okay. You can say more right. than a word. All right. But I'm just going to. I'm not going to elaborate. Fails, I'm just going to name stuff, and yeah. you're going to react. Okay. Yeah. First things up nicest Detroit Lions player you've covered. Just the best guy. Oh, wow. Nicest is Miles Kilbrew. I know I mentioned earlier is the one guy showing up in the locker room. Like, I, I realize he's just like a special teams guy and nobody cares. The dude is just genuinely super nice. Great biceps. Uh, he's, he's jazz. Yeah, he's also maybe the prettiest player I've covered. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he what, reminds me of that model, that that convict that got famous. Like, there's that picture of that bald guy with the blue eyes. Like, just a really good looking, like, yeah, oh, nice I'll, I'll tell guy. this story because why not? Uh, was, he was a rookie. Um, I was already annoyed because, at, like, after minicamp ends, like, that's, like, that's when Beat Rider Vacation starts. And they held, like, one additional rookie event, like, four days later. So I had to, like, stay and work this event. So I got out there. It's Detroit High School. He's out there. And we're interviewing him. And you know, he's a rookie. He's interesting. He's the muscle hammer from his little scouting report yeah. on NFL.com, which everybody loved. Yes. And uh, we finished the interview. And I'm like, Miles, I'm sorry. I don't know how this is going to come across. Dude, you got beautiful eyes. 
It's like they're like golden. I don't know yeah. what's going on with he's him. This, good this, looking guy. This dude is a model, right? Yeah. And he's like, bro, I was gonna tell you you had beautiful eyes. <laughs> I, was like, I, don't, I don't know what's happening right now, but uh, you guys had a moment. It's and very so, sweet. So yeah, Miles, Miles and I are close. That's good. I'm yeah. glad. Well, let's call you have his Locker number. Let's, close. let's call him up. He's welcome anytime. Yeah, I don't. I don't Just know keep if I him away. Number, keep him away from my wife. Yeah, um, all okay. of our wives for sure. Yeah, yeah. Keep him away from every woman you care. He about. He just got married, so I think we're good. That no, doesn't stop some people. <laughs> just you no and comment. me. So okay, we'll avoid that speed time. We'll we'll go on the, the other side of this coin. Yeah, biggest lions jerk that you covered. Who was just uh, an ass? You've been there a while. Oh. Seen a lot. Yeah, and. A lot of them run through that defensive line room. And I know a lot of people want me to say Sue. I actually had a pretty positive relationship with Sue. I mean, as cantankerous as he could be. I, I would probably say a guy just left. Ashawn Robinson was a miserable human being. Um, and it's so weird because he presented himself as as kind of lighthearted with the, he did a, I don't know what the guy that does the carpool karaoke, the late night show host, but he did like a weird. James Corden. Yeah, he did like a late night, like big guy dance routine on that show and um but he had like a tmz story come out two years ago about him walking out on a bar tab and somebody asked him about it at training camp and like after that moment like he treated us all like we were the tmz reporters that reported that story and just was was a dick you know there's no other way to put it um i think i talked to him i tried to talk to him a couple times but i think i only actually talked to him like once the last two years and again it, it's kind of a, a weird common theme in that episode group. I remember Sean Rogers infamously was very difficult with the media. I didn't, I didn't cover Sean, but I, I heard he like led like a behind the scenes protest that prevented all defensive linemen from talking to the media. I don't get that kind of thing. Big baby, right? Soft, Acting like a big soft baby. organization, right. just like their owners. <laughs> you mentioned him already. Let's get into it. Yeah. Dominican Sue. Yeah. Speed round. Yeah. Thoughts on Endomic and Sue? You covered him for a while. Yeah. Notorious. Yeah. A lot of people don't like him. Sure. Well, I sure. mean, listen, he's a mercenary now. Whoever pays the most money gets, your gets what's up. Your experience with him, though. Yeah. Um, you liked him. I wouldn't go that far. We had a, a fine working relationship. Uh, I would say the thing that bothered me about Sue was... I, I always felt like he was more about his individual accomplishments than the team's accomplishments. If the team accomplishments came within the realm of an individual accomplishment, great. But I remember him pulling aside somebody on the PR staff and like asking them to go call the league and get him credit for a sack he thought he deserved like a game earlier. And it was like that, that said a lot to me about who he was. But um, additionally, I think it was my second or third year in the beat. It's off season. I'm at a bachelor party. We were like drinking out at a tailgate at Tiger Game because that was part of it. And uh, I get a call from an Oregon number and I was like, what the hell is this? And so I ignore it. And then I get a text and it's like, hey, Justin, it's Indomitian Sue. Uh, I was wondering if you want to meet for lunch. I was like, oh, what? Like, what yeah, is this? That's so out of left field. It was so out of left field. And so. Hopefully he paid. I call back. It was like coffee, actually, I think. Um, I call back, like, thinking it was like a joke, right? And it's, no, it's him. He's like, hey, you know, I just, you know, I, I like to get to know the people that are covering me. Okay. And it was super cordial. And, um, you know, it, it was, there was no story there. It was just, it was a very, like, you know, talking about our families and stuff. And it was just a, a, a really, I never have had a player do that. 
but he was such that high profile. Everything he did made news. And I think he was just trying to say, I'm not a bad guy as it's presented. And what's really funny. I, and I love telling this is I went two years ago, my wife and I took just a summer vacation out to Seattle. She'd never been out there. It's one of my favorite cities on the road. Um, and then we took a train down to Portland for a couple of days. Cause I just, NFL doesn't have a team in Portland. I've never been there. So I wanted to see it. Get to Portland. We drop our bags off. It's 10 in the morning. We're off the train. Uh, we walk to lunch. We, it's 1030. It's like way too early for lunch, but we're still on East Coast time. Walk into a restaurant, Peruvian restaurant. Nobody's in there except for one table. And I look to my wife. I go, I'll be right back. I got to go say hi to somebody. And Dabak and Sue in the corner of this freaking restaurant with, you know, because he trains out there, right, at the Nike facility. Yep. I haven't seen him in three years. Um, and you never really know, even though you're in that locker room every day, you don't really know what guys know you, right? Or know your name. It's like, I don't, I think we're supposed to wear a name tag. I, I never do. Like, I introduce myself, but who, who am I to, you know, the average player? And I'm walking over the table, and, like, he immediately greeted me by name. And it's just like, it, you know, all those old stories about his photographic memory, right? That, yep. you know, we kind of playfully mocked the six-year-old putting together a telephone or whatever. But um, I don't know. It was, it was it was meaningful in a way, I guess, that, like, I covered this guy and he respected me enough that, you know, and I just stopped to say hello. I didn't want to bother him. But you end up talking to me for, like, 10 or 15 minutes just, you know, checking in on life. So I I have generally positive things to say about Ndamukong Sue. He was salt to the earth with you. I only have yeah. one Ndamukong Sue story. I hope your kids are Were you watching. the Comcast guy? Did he pull a BB gun on you? No, I was not that Comcast yeah, there was guy. There all kinds of stupid stories Here, like that, this, right? This is a story that I got directly from the person who rented him a property in yeah. Royal Oak. I already believe this story, by the way. You don't have to. And this is, look, I will risk slander because this is a true story. As I, it was told I, to me. It I was think told I know where this story is going, by the way. He vacated the property when his lease was up uh-huh this he was still a detroit lion he was just moving to a, a bigger pad i think mm-hmm. it vacated the property and i think he had a number of properties but this was his primary residence yeah and the landlord goes back in and there was a check uh for damages done beyond above and beyond the safety deposit it wasn't trashed but there were some uh, some damages around okay Landlord is going around the house, just checking out, doing an inspection, you know, like was his standard protocol. You can tell. I, I this, think I know where this is this going. This was told to me directly. Yeah. This is not second, third, fourth hand. Yeah. This, the landlord told me this. Okay. He gets to the bedroom on his normal path. I'm just watching Ben's reaction. You're there to is like a shelf behind the headboard, you know, just like a, where the window is. Again, you can place like, you know, pots there. Yeah. He didn't have pots there. He did not have shrubbery. He did not have bobbleheads. Mm-hmm. He had a giant glass container, like probably if you're watching, I, I know some people are on audio. I mean, probably about that big, uh, according to the description, filled with used condoms. Uh-huh. That is a true story, as it was told to me. I, used con- his He would, I guess, have sex and I, then deposit his used condoms into this giant glass jar and just leave them. I, I've heard the most story. vile thing I've ever heard yeah. in my life. Yeah. But I, who would make that up? I mean, that's such like a, know. but that, that was my one and Dominican Sue story. I hope the kids are in bed that he had a, a treasure trove of his used condoms, which I can't think like by where you sleep, by where yeah. your face is. Why would you even want that? He would be a very interesting psychological profile. 
he's a little bit odd. You have to be a little bit odd. I mean, maybe keep it like in a closet or something if you're going to have that. I mean, my goodness. Very good football player, but yeah, I mean, definitely. He's a weird guy. We'll move on. Okay. We'll make it a lot. That's speed round. A lot lighter. Well, you're a talkative guy. You know, you're you're a wise guy. I had to get it down there. I've never told that story in public. The press box food at Ford Field. Let's garbage. it up. Garbage. It's, it's, it's almost always garbage. Um, there are stadiums that absolutely bring it. Where's it good? You know Jerry's World's bringing it. Yeah. Jerry Jones takes care of you. Jerry Jones. New England's is awesome. Okay. Um, Kraft takes Tampa care of Bay. You. Tampa Bay has so many options, it's overwhelming. What do they give you at Ford Field? Like popcorn? No. So... They had one year. It was incredible. Uh, they they have, you know, local vendors within the, the stadium. I don't know if you actually go to the stadium, but Slows is there. Yes. Uh, they had for punishment. Flowers of Vietnam was there one year, which one of my favorites in Detroit. Um, and one year they, they basically, of the 10 meals, like seven were catered by different vendors, whether it was uh, um, Bigalora, Slows, um, one of the one of the top Greek restaurants down in Greek town. I can't remember. Maybe it's Pegasus one. I don't know which one it was, Yeah, but the food was awesome. Rest of the time they serve levy food, which is what, you know, provides big it's big boy. It's a stadium food. Yeah. Uh, it's a, whatever the main, one of the main stadium food providers in the country. And some of those, it, it reminds me of high school lunches. It reminds me of, and some of them are okay. And you know, I, I and not all of them are disasters. Yeah, chicken nugget day, you're psyched at Ford Field. When when you find uh, out it's chicken not chicken tenders, it, I, I think when it's happen. nacho day at Ford Field, you're psyched. It is like yeah, it's like middle day. school. Yeah, I mean it's so it's so funny. It's like the, man, they're losers on the field and in the cafeteria. When I, it, cheapskates, like you know, can we I mean, get some lobster? We're not hiding it here. Like I like food. Anybody's ever been on my Instagram? That's all I post. Is you're what a food I cook. guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, I cook. I hold that thought because I'm getting to that. Okay. Yeah, I'm a I'm uh. I mean, I'll eat shit food, but I I'm a I like good creative food, right? Um, you told me you wouldn't even drink bourbon if it was uh, anything under eighty five bucks a bottle. So it's, yeah, I it, think yeah. that was the word word for word. Yeah, there. yeah. Mis misquote. You right said if there. you walked in here, if it yeah. was eighty three ninety nine, hundred year old friends that are all hanging around. <laughs> um, are you hanging out in the Lions draft room? Yeah, Jesus. Uh, but with your knitting circle and so the Ford I, family, I would like. Every so often, I knew who was kind of in charge of the food that week, and I'd, I'd say, hey, she's not with the organization anymore, but I'm like, what are we having this week? And she'd tell me, I'm like, all right, that sounds all right. Okay. And then those fajitas, no. No, no human should have to eat fajitas that they, these were not, the the, the beef was green. I remember showing it to the freaking lady there, and I'm like, is this okay to eat? She's like, oh, that's normal. With is, the is this I'm like, okay to eat? No, green. And <laughs> so when I heard side. that the, because fajitas was like a, an annual thing. Like if I heard the fajitas was coming, mm, I'm, I'm going the Mitch route and I'm Mitch brings his own food all the time, which yeah. good for him. Cause he can, but I mean, I, I would stop at, it's not down there anymore, but I'd, I'd stop at Bucharest and grab a delicious chicken swarm of pita. Cause I'll pay six bucks for some delicious food, but Detroit classic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I've, never, I've actually never been there. So you know what is great though? Yeah, and you said they're closed now. I oh but no, Bucharest is open still. Did you not say they're closed? They they closed the downtown location. There's still several locations. Oh, the okay, I got gotcha. you. Should definitely get there. I got gotcha. uh, you. Great, but uh, the Thanksgiving meal, they they do a good job. Oh, good. Once a year they I, do a nice job. I re- well, it's not once a year. It's like one it's like three, three out of ten. It there's worse. Oakland is the worst I've ever had. 
I don't know. Hopefully, I, Vegas will be better. I've been to Oakland for baseball games. That place is a hellhole. They should Worst burn that stadium. They should burn that burn stadium to the, to the ground. I was there with my wife and my buddy James, and we were we were there for Tigers uh, athletics playoffs. Yeah. In oh, yeah. that would have been two thousand. The Maglio series, right? No, no, that was 06. Okay. This uh, this was like 2011 or 12. Okay. And first round, Verlander dominated. We lost. We were down. They came back, won the last two games, and won the series. But they were my, – my wife, who at the time, we were like 22. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife's like short, you know, skinny little pretty girl getting pelted by hot dogs, peanuts, just throwing stuff at all of us. But, I mean, including this like little like girl – yeah. You know, like in terms of stature, I mean, like this young little tiny thing getting food thrown at her, like just because we're wearing tiger stuff. It's not like we were doing the crotch chop like D-Generation X or something taunting these people. Like we're just standing there. Yay. Go Tigers. And Looking forward like, to the wrestling part of the speed round now. It's great. Oh, my God. I'm I, ready. I, I tell you, tell you my situation on the BART on that uh, on that mass transit system they have there. They're like elbowing me in the back. I mean, it was terrible. It was awful. Same thing going to a Yankees game. It's, it's the whole, worst. Yankees. Their fans are the worst. Same buddy. James and I were at, at uh, a bar in the Bronx. Same postseason. Actually, I think it was that 2011 postseason. Yeah. 2011 or 12, whatever it was. They are literally confronting us at the bar saying what the fuck are you doing they're here? super aggressive for no no reason yeah. we're just like standing there like hey i'll take a little bat like no fuck you yeah fuck you buddy <laughs> it's like we almost got into six fights so when the when valverde struck out a rod to win that series we had some fun in the bronx at their expense i've never been such an asshole in my life what were we even talking about speed round Nicest guy in the Detroit media. That's our next oh, one. Oh, yeah. Let's get back on track. Nicest guy in the Detroit media. We ripped on Kyle Minky. You agreed he's terrible. <laughs> who, who, who's the who's the nicest guy? There's there's so many. I'm going to go with Dan Miller. Dan Miller. Is Dan, he really? Dan, does he count as media he, when he works for the team? No. That's a separate role, yeah. right? Like, so you, like, he's almost ineligible for this, but we'll, okay. we'll, give, we'll, give, no, we'll give it to you. You can have Dan Miller. There's he's a good so guy. Many good, there's Dan's so fine. many good people in the media. I I don't think people realize like how many genuine good people like it's just an example. Wojo always picks up the tab. Always. Wojo's a great guy. It's I love unbelievable. Wojo. I love Wojo. I always make the joke like I work with Wojo and Neo, both extraordinary human beings, like just great people. When I, I work it was with John Nio, is it Neo? Neo. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Whole time. No wonder why but he you've been won't saying Minky too. I don't know what that is. Isn't it Minky? Minky. No wonder these people hate me. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Whatever. Um, when I work with Neo, Neo is one of the most observant reporters I've ever seen. Like the dude just catches everything, and he he makes me better just working side by side with him. Wojo, he makes me laugh. Like well, no, he's a, he's a well, goofball. He's a goofball, but it's like he's such such a big heart, and I, I just have so much fun when I work with both those guys for different reasons, right? There's so many good people in the media, and there's so many good people on, on just the Lions beat, right? Yes. You're a big baseball fan, I think, right? I did, still play fantasy baseball. Did, did my, it's the only thing I still play. My producer told me you're a big baseball yeah. guy. See, I didn't even know yeah. that because you don't I talk about- I almost wore an Expos hat today. That would have been nice. Yeah. The Expos it's like hats my go-to great. ball caps. So. But you, you stay in your lane. I had no idea you were a baseball fan. My yeah. producer, Ben, had to give that to me. And I had no idea who you were voting for in 2016 or 2020. So you, you yeah. stay you Vlad stay, Guerrero, obviously. You stay on the line. Yeah. Is that your favorite baseball player ever? Uh, oh, that's a good question. My first favorite baseball player was Jose Canseco. In the first Tigers game I went, my uncle took me and bought tickets yeah. in the outfield where he was stationed. 
Um, and that was like, like just Bass Brothers. Like you know was, my Ken Seiko story, right? I the the fantasy baseball story. Yeah, I, I'd like to hear more because I only know vaguely. He you, was. Did you for, did you pay for that for the re- yes for the wrestling fans can out we, there? Can I get a dollar amount on what it costs to bring in Jose Canseco? Not on the air, you can't. Off the, the air though. Yeah, sure. I was debating this on the drive in with a buddy. <laughs> well, it depends. Yeah. You know what off the record means, right? You're yeah. you 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 went to journalism school, yeah. right? No, yeah, yeah. I didn't. Actually. <laughs> no, that's right. You didn't. You I know did what the not. term means. Yeah. Jose Canseco was, there was an old WWF wrestling bit where it was going on for months where there was this guy wearing a cloak and he was causing all these problems and I'm dumbing this way down yeah. in the WWF for all the, you know, the, the baby faces. He was yeah. causing all sorts of problems. He was a bad guy. No one knew who he was. Okay. It was, is it Jake the Snake Roberts? Who, no one knew who it was. Yeah. And Vince McMahon was intensely against this guy, it appeared. And they bring him out, and there's this big reveal, and it's is revealed. the higher power angle? That's right. It's yeah. revealed that the higher power is, in fact, Vince McMahon. Of course it was. And it was this big storyline. There's a little inside baseball, not that I heard directly, but just on a podcast. It was inside baseball at the time. I think it was Jim Ross was saying, like, it wasn't supposed to be McMahon. They were trying to get Jake the Snake, and they couldn't get him. Or there was some issue there. But obviously drunk or He high. had some issue. Yeah. But so I, I had this whole buildup where I was going to have a mystery because I ran the, the baseball league that yeah. we were in. And I had a mystery 10th owner who I declared the higher power. Yeah. And nobody knew who it was. So I reached out and I was, I was thinking, who would it, who, I wanted it to be baseball related if possible. Yeah. And I'm like, who can I afford that's really good and cool, but like yeah. I can still afford? And it's like he was the first one that came to mind and he was such a cool one to have. So he's, there's a video of the reveal. I don't know if you've I, seen I it. I have seen it. It was years ago. He's walking in. It was like, 2014 he did I think. the whole rope thing right yeah he we got him a cloak but he was the coolest guy he stayed at the towns and he invited me out with him and i was like you know he wanted to like kind of yeah. have some pops with me and i was like i got a wife and it was late Dude, he I, got in late but great guy so i'm talking to him he's at the house before anyone shows up for the draft on draft he, he flew in saturday night the draft was sunday at like 11 so i pick him up in the morning and we get there an hour so before the first the person shows up. So I'm just sitting in the car with this Jose and we're talking and he's and I'm like, OK, man, I, I feel awkward. You know, he's a giant. Yeah. He's huge. He's, he's he's my height, but he's like 100 pounds heavier than right. me. And he's you know, he's like six, four, all muscle. And I'm saying like, I'm kind of awkward. We're driving from the town. He had a room at the Townsend. Pick him up at the Townsend in Birmingham, driving just, you know, five miles down the road to my parents' house in Bloomfield where the draft was. And I'm like, I know this is awkward, Jose, but I got this cloak. Like, you don't have to wear it. You know, I'm like worried the guy's going to like punch me in the face for even asking. And he was like, oh, no, that's great. That's great. Like, I'll come down really slow. Like, you know, we can we can do it this way. I'll kind of peer around the corner. And like he was he absolutely loved it. He just played in. (laughs) He was he was such a good sport about it. So he's he's waiting upstairs as everyone's like arriving. So he's just standing in, in my parents' guest room, like on his phone, just hanging out, killing time for like half an hour or doing filters in. And he comes out, there is video of it in a cloak and he comes down the stairs and you know, I, re- I popped the head of the, you know, the cloak off and everyone was just like, what the fuck? And there is video. Of this is people, the, this guy turns around and he's just like, makes his jaw gate face. People were stunned, but could not have been a cooler guy. Yeah. Great guest. People were asking him questions about everything. He was talking about Gal Cabrera is one of the only clean guys of the you know the big power hitters of this generation. He th- thinks guys are still using. Oh, Miggy, you mean? Yeah, he That's said cool. he said Miguel Cabrera was like hundred percent clean. Like I can you know there's no like fluid retention. He has some way. Yeah, he's the expert. He's the chemist. He was known as the chemist when he played. Right. But, you know you have the guys because we had Dennis Rodman the next year. That's a whole different story. 
I don't think I knew that. Dennis Rodman was the stories with him were great before the draft. During the draft, he sat there and just kind of grunted the whole time. He uh, was a very awkward guy. Jose was telling stories, taking pictures, putting his arm around guys. Like he was like, I liked him more than my friends that were there. So, uh, you know who the Jose of my time covering the Lions was? Who? Dominic. Rayola? Yeah. Oh, come on. The guy no, was flicking off people I, every five no, seconds. I understand what I always used. So, Rayola obviously has a terrible reputation here, right? But, well, well deserved. I, I always say, like, Dominic Rayola is the guy that you go out with. He's your buddy, and he's the one that always gets you in trouble, but he's also the one that always had your back. Okay. That makes sense. I would, I like, would like him on my guy, side. Right? I'd like him on my side in a fight, but I don't have yeah. to like him when the team's 0 16 and no, he's as flicking a off the player, fan. I'm just talking personality here. I get yeah. it. Like, no, he's your buddy. I get it. I would not say that either. Yeah, I, I would not say anybody I've ever covered has been my buddy. So Jose Canseco and Vlad Guerrero are your two favorites. Guerrero was yeah. one of my favorites ever, but Pedro Martinez is number one with a bullet. Can't beat Pedro. Yeah. Another Expos connection right there. You're a food guy. Yeah. Last one. We're going to wrap here. Oh, Let's wrap with something we're done. silly. I thought no. we had another hour left. This is, we've been at it, what, an hour and a half? I, I you, you, you told me. See, it, yeah, Look at that says hour 30. We got to go for the new viewer record. And you right? told me you have stuff to do. You got, I, you got I, big I, shoes to fill. John Warren's not, at 50,000 yeah, right I, now. <laughs> 50,000 people have watched God, the John Warren show. Mike hour, dude. Oh, yeah. Mike Abdenauer would be interesting, too. I'd rather have, like, Arnie Kander would be more of the apples-to-apples comparison. But um, let's finish here. Yeah. Big food guy. I'm a big steak guy. Yeah. If I want to get a steak in Metro Detroit, doesn't have to be downtown anywhere in Metro Detroit, the greater counties. Where am I going? Where's number one? That's that's a good question. I I don't eat a lot of steak in the area. Like, that's a that's a road food. It's a road food. Yeah, as weird as that sounds. I cook my own steak. Okay, let's, let's pivot. Best restaurant. Best restaurant if I'm taking my wife, yeah. not not with the boys. I'm going out with my wife. It's our 10th anniversary. Where am how, I taking How her? ambitious? Like, is she conservative with her food or no? She'll eat anything. Okay. I And I mentioned it earlier. I It's a restaurant I've just fallen in love with down here is Flowers of Vietnam. Is that the topless place you were talking about earlier? The hot? It's not the topless place. Okay. Uh, or tapas. Um, so it's a Vietnamese restaurant. It's down off uh, Werner. Okay. So it's it's uh, close to Mexican town, which is another place. I, just, I love all of that. But um, it it was like an old Coney Island. It might have been the owner's dad's at one point, and he like rented out the kitchen on the weekend or something. But um, it's it's just more of an authentic style Vietnamese food with. You know, certainly a fancy twist to it. Uh, the chicken wings as an appetizer, they're like the caramelized two-day recipe Vietnamese chicken wings are unbelievable. Better than B-dubs? Yeah, a little, yeah. little bit. A little bit. A little, little bit. more, a little more authentico. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's a sauce, right? It's got the, the caramelized and it's got the, the fish sauce. You get that, that subtle spicy. Um, the restaurant itself, the whole menu is just very unique. Uh, it's it's a really cool place to, to take a Friends from out of town, Jose Canseco, date with the wife. Um, I'll take Jose next time he's in town. I don't know. With all the equipment we have in here, I don't know if I can afford Jose again. Justin Rogers, Detroit News. It was awesome. You told me you were not giving me one minute above 30 minutes, and here we went through. I'm making up a lot of hyperbole, man. I'm making up a lot of stuff. You do. You have a lot to do tonight, though. You said you're a busy guy, and this is a this is crunch time for you. Late. The the draft time. I hope you're a coffee drinker. The draft time is crazy for you. I'd imagine beginning of the season is tough for you. 
Luckily for you, the playoffs are usually pretty quiet because you write for the Detroit Lions beat. So you're uh, you're going to be very relaxed in about 17 weeks. You know what the hardest part is right now? It's the hardest part for everyone. It's pandemic. Got the kids at home. Adding that layer with two young children on virtual learning on top of the beat writing job. And that started back with free agency in the draft has been so difficult. I mean, it's just been so difficult. You know, you want to spend that time and make sure they're getting their education. And I, I'm blessed that I have smart children, but they're six and nine. Like they need help being directed. And I just, I sometimes don't have the bandwidth because I'm covering football and I hate that that's what's taking my attention away from them. Daughter learned to ride her bike the other day. Six-year-old learned to ride her bike and I was writing some stupid ass story about, I don't even know. The it, was thing the day, that's, it was the day Peterson signed. Well, that's that's not a stupid thing. But the thing that it's hates, like, the thing that would suck about being a beat writer is like you know I I talked to you before the show a little bit at the top. I don't like the who's going to be the fifth wide receiver. Who's going to like who's on the bubble and who's going to make it because yeah. the chances of these bubble players making any impact really. I mean, it happens sometimes, but it's pretty minimal. These guys usually filter off the roster by week four anyway. Like the last guy to yeah. make the cut. But people obsess over that stuff. It's the same people that I like, get tournament time will just be apoplectic that such and such buttfuck team in Texas didn't get in the NCAA tournament field where even if they got in, they're going to get obliterated in the just first round. Killing the UTSA Roadrunners like that? Who cares? Like I, I get, like, I get it's If you have fun with it, that's one thing. Like, it's fun yeah. to do the Joe Lenardi bracketology. Like, oh, how did we not get the one seed or two seed or whatever? I get the arguing over seedings, like, at the top. But these people that are like, just losing their flipping minds over who got in as the 14 seed. It's like just, you know. I think it's just please. a sign of the time, right? Like so 20, 30 years ago, Tom Kowalski and Mike O'Hara and and Kurt Sylvester could spend their entire day crafting one story that was going to go in the paper. And now every little thing I have, because maybe only six people covered the team back then out of every practice. Now there's 30 entities with, um, the TV stations and the radio stations and all the reporters and the athletic and even you know some of the the blogs that are are now kind of let in under the media sphere. It's like there's just so much competition, so you end up having to write everything, and it's really it's interesting conversation. Like, what is the threshold of news? And you, you find over time, like your bosses will tell you to why didn't you write this, but then they'll say why are you why are you write working so much? You need to take time off, and it's like. There's just no delineation, so you just write everything. You just you just do like that's just the nature of the job, and it sucks, and it's the worst part. Not a whole lot of gatekeeping. It is like I haven't had a wall. I haven't had a wall between professional and personal life since 2005. Like I'm always on. My laptop's in my car right now. Like I was fully prepared for Kenny Galladay to prepare to to sign an extension and go. Podcast was great, but I really got to go. Do Hell some no! Shit. You would be, you'd be breaking it down right here. You yeah. think I'm going to let you slink out well, the door? We, I've waited like for, five minutes. I've waited for this for years. Yeah. I want that live reaction. Can, can, ben, can you check? Did Kenny Galladay sign an extension since Justin started the show? He is not. You're, you've been checking your phone every once in a while. Yeah. Chris Castellani checks his phone every six minutes. He's on the show every six minutes. He's checking. Yeah. His, did you notice that Ben when Chris Castellani, our our friend, was here? I said the guy's got like anxiety or something. He's I checking his phone. Nervous Dude, tick is, or something. He's you know, like, I know I'm intimidating, but Jesus, you know. I mean, for me, it's a nervous tick. Like I feel like if I don't check my phone and I didn't feel the buzz, like I might, I, 
multiple times have woken up in the morning. I don't even sleep at like, there's no way in hell I get to nine anymore. I don't remember the last time I slept at nine, but like even at eight, the very first thing I do when I roll over is see what Twitter alerts have come into my phone because I have probably like seven entities that go, every tweet they make goes into my phone. And uh, what time did Adrian Peterson announce the other day? Like eight oh four or something was yeah. like when Josina was breaking it. Yes, like it was early. Oh yeah, I'm gonna go back to it. I know we're. We've covered everything. I want to go back to the Adam after thing that said I was going to go back Get to Get go. Beginning. I mean, keep, I'll keep you all night. You're the one with no, the laptop no, in your I, car I think, looking at your phone every five because, minutes. Because, you know, I, I end up giving these single serving answers to people and nobody yeah. sees the single serving answers. No. But people always say, like, how, how pissed are you? You always get beat by. Why can't you beat Schefter? And it's tough, right? Because well, no one does. But, but here's why, right? Here's the logic of why an Adam Schefter dominates the world. Adam Schefter works for ESPN, which is a partner with the league. Yes. He, when's the last time Adam Schefter wrote something negative? Never. He doesn't do it. He just reports straight transactions, transactions largely. He's super connected with agents. If you're an agent, pretend you're, you know, I don't want to make you Drew Rosenhaus, but let's make you like no, a No, I want to be the You want to be Rosenhaus? Yeah, give me Rosenhaus. Dude, I saw Rosenhaus once at the Senior Bowl talking on two phones at once. I don't even know how. Oh, the man. dude's a machine. My, my heroes are Bob Sugar and Scott Boras. So Love yeah, it. Give me Rosenhaus. So if you're Drew Rosenhaus and you're going to negotiate an extension with, you know, he's not Matthew Stafford's agent, but you know, a, a big-time player, what's the easiest way to get that information out? You give it to the guy that the trickle-down economics of, of reporting, right? You give it to the main guy or yep. two guys and you just let it kind of proliferate down. Give it to the league partners. You give it to NFL Network and you give it to ESPN. It's very com. convenient outlet. And the Lions, at least under the Bob Quinn regime, and this isn't just Quinn, it's it's a message he's proliferated to the entire organization. You don't acknowledge something is happening until those T's are crossed and those I's are dotted. They don't want to tell you that they've reached an agreement with Adrian Peterson until they know they've got him in for physical. They know he's good to go. They know it's green lighted and then they'll, they'll confirm it. So I can't even get like a confirmation from those guys until that ink is dry. So it's, that's just the nature of the business. You know, I might get some, some piddly transactions here locally, Michael Roberts trade to new England. Like, you know, any, any information I can get ahead of a competitor is great, but I'm just never going to win on the Matthew Staffords or the Indomitian Sues of the world because they're going to go to Schefter. And that's just a reality of the job. I have to find a way to be effective in a different yeah. way. Yeah. I, you know, the thing people don't realize, some do, some don't, is the whole week thing. Like, no reporters out there hacking emails or meeting in parking lots. This is a very no. convenient, uh, mutually relationship for these parties when things get leaked and you know, coaches leak things. You know, I, I am friends with a hockey reporter. They just cleared out most of their coaching staff in the NHL. And he told me, he wrote, he wrote this big article discussing the coaching, you know, the gripes that were in the paper right after. And he said, yeah, yeah, I mean, the assistant coaches were very helpful, kind of told me, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. Everything sure. is done and, and told for a reason. No one is hacking emails. Like, you have to read through the lines on, okay, why is this out there? Who wants it out there? Who stands to gain from it? And I think Schefter, no one, I mean, it's, and I'll, I'll confess, I used to be one of those guys that would rag on the local guys. I mean, we're talking more when I was like 20. I mean, we're going kind of far back sure. now. But it, I was frustrated with, it's like, what are you guys doing? The thing that I really bugged me, though, is 
the lack of tough questioning from beat writers, but that was a Tigers issue. Yeah. And that's why I like, and, and the Red and Wings were the same. I can't speak to those. I mean, I just, I, I don't follow a single you know, beat in this town. You're good at what you do, but, and Kyle's good. Yeah. And, and I know what goes on in our beat. The Lions know, are good. I know that no question is ever ducked. It, we just don't do it. Like, no. I don't know what it is about the Lions that like that all the the best beat writers went there. I and mean, maybe it's a good I mean, thing cuz they're worthy of most the scrutiny. I mean the NFL is the still the king. It right? is the king. So where do you put your I, I, that's going to sound like I'm patting myself back. I'm out on that com- comment. You're out on that comment. Uh, yeah, where like, are you going to put the best? I didn't like I didn't like the way that comment you're was ki- going. You're kinging yourself. Well, I'll it's definitely you. where I wanted to end up. I have told you repeatedly Justin, I think that you are one of the best in town of what you do. You know, my personal favorites in town, it goes beyond sports. You know, if you look at the Chad Livengood, who is just phenomenal. Agreed. Uh, I mean, arguably the best reporter in town if you're taking out like genre and just putting just flat reporter in town. I think Chad is probably the best. You and Tony Paul do great work. Tony's done incredible, exhaustive investigative work, particularly with Michigan State and a number of issues. Uh, So I just I applaud you for what you do. I think it's tough to do what you do. I wanted to do what you did until I saw what it entailed, and I ran for the hills. And so you saw you, the paycheck. No, oh, that's that that too. But yeah. I mean, it's it's it's, it's not a, glamorous. It's, it's not as glamorous as people think, especially not for what for how much is involved in it. Like yeah. if it wasn't hard, and you were getting paid what you were getting paid, yeah. one thing. But that's a lot. If it was just covering the games. It'd be a pretty sweet game. You're married to Twitter, and who yeah. wants to get married? To, you got to pay me a lot of money to be married to Twitter. I like I date Twitter. I don't marry Twitter. You're married to Twitter. You said the first thing you do when you wake up is, oh, I got these eight accounts that are linked to my phone. I ain't got time for that, man. I made a joke. When I leave this industry, I'm throwing my phone in the ocean. I know we don't live close to the ocean, so that tells you I'm going to drive to do a symbolic We got gesture. a lot of lakes. It'll kill that yeah. phone just as much. You don't need, you don't I need salt water to melt that puppy. Yeah. So you, you, are one, tweet. you are one of the best, and I applaud you for what you do. I am happy that you finally came in. I hope to have you back. I hope I didn't scare you. Yeah. I hope the condom uh, at uh, the, the the headboard of if I had not heard it before, it might have might have rattled me. It would yeah. You've heard things like that with him, and yeah. so many have. So I appreciate you joining us. Go tackle your laptop. Do what you got to do. I do appreciate you being here, and I hope to have you back. I hope I didn't scare you. I want to see how close you can get to John Wharton because John Wharton pushed about fifty thousand views in county. Maybe we can get you close. We appreciate your time. And Ben, our producer, busted his ass for this show. This was a highly produced broadcast today, I Ben. I messed up that clip, but uh, whatever. You know what? This It'll is, be fixed. This Don't is worry. Show, this is show like seven or whatever. We're getting there. You know, I, I, you think I know what the hell I'm doing? I forgot I was even on there. I'm just talking to my friend over here, drinking his $200 bourbon and <laughs> that he demanded as a condition of uh, showing up. This is how up. goes every broadcast. Does he just keep adding numbers to The things? number gets bigger every time. <laughs> So, Justin Rogers, Detroit News. Uh, His I'm, entire senior home in the Lions draft. There's like 70 I'll people sh- playing bingo. Oh, I'm sorry. Bob Quinn couldn't even move. The bingo game in the Lions draft Get war room was, was fantastic. I heard it was highly contested. They were so fired up. They, I'm sorry. It's, I'm, not, I'm not the one that took the picture. I'm not the one that posed for it. It's not my organization. That's the team you cover. I want nothing to do with them. I want them to do well. But you think I endorse that activity? I tweeted it. It had like 300 likes. I'm not that popular. That's a lot for me. People, people, it resonated with people when they saw the bridge game going on in the Lions' worm. It was an embarrassment. I stand by it. I stand by your $300 bottle of bourbon that was here waiting for you. Justin Rogers of Detroit News, Spiro Avenue Show. We are killing it because of you, not because of me, maybe a little bit because of Ben. Definitely not because of me. All the credit to the audience. 
and our wonderful sponsor, the Michigan Peddler. They are the best at what they do in the same way that Justin Rogers is the best at what he does. The Michigan Peddler, downtown Detroit, they're going to be breezing by for about another month or so before they shut down for the season. They're awesome. MichiganPeddler.com, the first and to date only sponsor of this show, but I'm sure they are all lining up when they see this broadcast with Justin Rogers tonight. Thank you for all. Uh, thank you all for joining us. We have a, a lot more coming down. One day we'll get John U. Bacon in here. I don't know what kind of bourbon I'll have to buy him, but we're working on it. Thanks to Ben Augusta, fantastic producer and creative director, Spiro Avenue. Ben, any closing words before we sign off? Uh, well, just wanted to say uh, thank you for Justin for coming in. And uh, we still appreciate our local reporters. I used to go to uh, Central Michigan, too, for journalism. And I uh, opted out of that career because I knew how hard it was. So uh, I appreciate and I know a lot of people in Detroit appreciate what you do. My boss is going to be so mad I didn't pimp the subscriptions. Tony Paul talked about it for like an hour, so you're good. Not, you are, yeah, he's got it. Subscribe to Detroit listen, News. It's, listen to Tony Paul, I suppose. It's $3, right, for three know. months? So it's $3, so it's 1% the cost of the bottle of bourbon Justin Rogers <laughs> demanded. Three bucks, that's just 1% of you're one. You're think I'm bullshitting, but I did subscribe two days ago. See? You know what's yeah. funny? See? Uh, all all uh, reporters are supposed to have accounts that log in, like you're supposed to be able to use it's a month and I still can't even read my own shit. You don't, don't say that. Does that sound like a good pitch? You you can log in. You can no, read it. It's, it's easily tech, it's, it's easily accessible. Tech. It's in good font. It's easily. I don't know. I subscribed because Tony made me feel bad. My argument was. Wow. Guilted you into it. He did. I'm and, not, not going to do that. No, but I like Tony and I, I would gladly pay for Tony's content or your content. My argument was just from a, a principal business standpoint. If you're selling this piece of bread for 25 years. Or not, I shouldn't say selling it. You're giving it away for 25 years. Yeah. And then like tomorrow, I'm going to start charging for it. You have to either like bake the crust a little differently or put yeah. some, you know, artis artisanal butter on there or something. I mean, you're a food guy. Like I can't just have the same piece of bread that I gave to you for free yesterday and then charge you for it tomorrow. I, I said like they should have Tony Paul deliver like your first newspaper after you subscribe with like a little cupcake and a candle your first day or something, you know. Maybe maybe he can wear. Something I think these like, are all reasonable requests. Yeah, get Tony on my porch with a cupcake, and I'll I'll subscribe for ten years. Yeah. So I don't know. That was my only take, but I I subscribed. I was shamed into it, and my shame dollars spend the same as someone that paid probably. So I'm never gonna I'm never gonna do that. I'm never gonna shame somebody to do it. I believe in the work I do. And you I should. Just, I just let that. What are you gonna do with the three dollars I gave you? Have I, you planned the trip to no, Europe yet? It let let that be known. I don't see a penny. You don't see one penny no. of my three dollars. No, I, they're I'm holding out on you. Salaried employee, and I just get my salary. I think they should give you at least some of that three dollars. I'm going to fight for you. I have zero comments. On I'm going to start the petition. I want twenty percent of my three dollars to go to you. Justin's about to lose his job. Which one? Justin Rogers, the Detroit News, keeping his job so far as I know. As long as none of my employees watch this, so will I. This has been the Spiro Avenue Show. Show seven. We're rolling. It's awesome. A lot more to come. Thank you for joining us. Spiro Avenue. We are out. Thank you.